Okay, let's turn our attention to the situation in British Columbia. The pipeline protests, the injunctions, the arrests. Um, it, it's been pretty volatile for the past week or two. Let's get the details on what's happening there. We're going to chat with Amanda Follett-Hosgood, who is a reporter with the TAI. Uh, Amanda, thanks for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, good morning, Shay. So why don't we just... Um, sort of go back to the beginning here. We've, we're talking about a pipeline um, running through Wet'suwet'en lands, largely. Um, the interesting thing to me is First Nations in the region are all on board, all along this route, have signed on, so it's hereditary chiefs that are opposed, right? Do I have it correct? Um, more or less, yeah. So we've got a, a quarter of the entire route. The route itself is 670 kilometers, and a quarter of that passes through Wet'suwet'en territory, which is which is where all the conflict yes. has been happening. Um, and band councils along the route have signed benefit agreements with um, TC Energy, which is the, the parent company of Coastal GasLink. And those have, you know, those have been pointed to as support for the project. It's, it's basically just a financial stake in the project. Um, Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, however, have opposed the project. And I think uh, one thing that's important to note is that these band councils were formed um, to govern reserves. And these, uh, these pi- this pipeline doesn't actually pass through any reserves. So wh- while I think it's entirely appropriate that local communities benefit from the project, right. uh, the argument from the hereditary chiefs has been that they have jurisdiction over the, the broader territory. Right. So now how, what, what, what's the resolution on this? If you're the company or if you're the RCMP or you're the government that's trying to come to a resolution, I mean, I know it's been through the courts, but who ultimately has authority over this stretch of the pipeline? You know, I think that's the root of the problem yeah. here. Um, yeah, um, Wet'suwet'en land title has never been has never been sorted out. So, in in 1997, and when we talk about the beginnings of this conflict, we can go back decades to a ten year uh, court battle between. Um, the the Wet'suwet'en Nation and their neighbors, the Gitsan Nation, they they collaboratively collaboratively fought for their indigenous title in the court system. And in 1997, the Supreme Court of Canada acknowledged that their title still existed and acknowledged that they had a claim to the land, but left it up to the nation and the provincial and the federal government to determine what that should look like. And so that process now is dragged on for we're coming up on the 24-year anniversary uh, of that uh, president-setting decision, and still we don't have a formal agreement between those those different governments about what what to what title looks like. And then the frustration is that in the meantime, you know, the province has continued to um, issue these permits, and then the injunction that allowed the police to go in was issued based on those permits, and right. it's being a permitted project, and still the hereditary chiefs are saying, well, well, wait, we, we, this is our territory, and we haven't approved this project. Yeah, so you've got the hereditary chiefs in their position. The law and the injunctions and everything at this point are taking the opposite um stance and saying, okay, we've adjudicated this, the the First Nations have signed on. So that battle will continue to rage on, I think. Why did it flare up in the last couple of weeks? What was the development where we saw this? I mean, it's happened before, um, but why did it come to prominence again, you know, two weeks ago? Yeah, things sort of started, things got, I'm sure everybody remembers February 2020, yep. 
when this conflict was leading the headlines for, you know, a month or two, and there was five days of arrests uh, on the Maurice West Forest Service Road, where all this is taking place. Um, and then a couple of things happened. First of all, the Wet'suwet'en sat down with the province and federal government. Um, they came to basically an agreement to continue working on an agreement. So they, they picked up where they left off after the 1997 Supreme Court decision and, and those negotiations fell off. Um, but that didn't address the, the pipeline. That was to continue working on the broader issue of Indigenous rights and title. Um, the, the pipeline issue kind of sat there and continued to simmer. We went into the pandemic. Everything shut down. Um, people were still out on the territory. RCMP were still patrolling, but, um, but there weren't these big conflicts. And so what shifted a couple of months ago is that Coastal GasLink is preparing to drill under the, the Maurice River, um, known to the Wet'suwet'en as Wet'suwet'en. It's a very important um, watershed through this, through this area. And there's a lot of concern from the nation around the environmental impacts of drilling under the river. So that was Coastal GasLink's plan for this fall. Uh, late September, the Gidimben clan of the Wet'suwet'en Nation on, on their portion of the territory established a camp and a roadblock at the site where Coastal GasLink intends to drill. So again, you know, RCMP have been in there. There were a couple of arrests, but it's, it's kind of gone under the radar. There hasn't been a lot of reporting on that until um, a week and a half ago. Um, hereditary Chief Was, who is clan chief for Gidimden clan, uh, said, okay, enough's enough. We're just going to shut down the road. Yep. So that happened That happened a week ago Sunday. And, um, yeah. Uh, and that's uh, in violation of an injunction that the courts have put in. They're not, I mean, this has already been through the courts, and they've been told, stay away, don't interfere. You'll be breaking the law if you do, correct? Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing's that simple. I think there's an acknowledgement. Right. There's an acknowledgement by the courts that this is Wet'suwet'en territory, and that Wet'suwet'en people have the right to be on the territory doing their, you know, their cultural activities and hunting and trapping. Um, but they uh, they stop at the point where they're blocking access to the pipeline route, and yeah. Yeah. And and that's where the arrests started. And I know there was a number yeah. of, I mean, even some journalists were swept up in that and, and yeah. had to spend some time uh, behind bars before getting released on Monday morning. So what is the situation there now? Is there still tension? Is there still uh, incidents happening? I haven't heard anything much in the past couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, yeah, we had arrests on, uh, and, and I think an important, maybe an important difference this time around as opposed to previous police actions was that this time the Maurice Forest Service Road was blocked, and this was the third large-scale police action to happen on the Maurice over the last uh, few years. Um, but this time around, two coastal gas link work camps were, you know, construction that was in full, full swing, and those work camps were occupied, and the company said that there were actually 500 people cut off um, from supplies. So... Um, you know, there was lots of discussions about how to address that. Could another road be put in? Could there be, you know, helicopter access for supplies? Uh, I know the hereditary chiefs were in the process of setting up a meeting with the province to figure out a solution. And then just as that was happening, a plane load of RCMP landed here uh, in Smithers, where I live. And the police action began, began uh, Thursday morning. So Thursday morning, they began clearing the road. I was told, that I, I traveled out there that day and was told by an officer that their objective was to open up the route to the camps and, um, 
and they would arrest anyone who was in their way. So that day, 15 people were taken into custody. One journalist was, was released the same day. Um, and by the end of the day, the road was open and supplies were flowing into camp. Um, but it still left this remaining camp that was uh, established in September, not blocking that main access road, but blocking access to the CGL work site. So Friday, another round of arrests. Um, more people taken into custody, and, and that included two two journalists um, who have been reporting on this for years now. Uh, and they all spent yeah three three days in uh, yeah. in jail. So Monday they, morning. Uh, yeah, they were released. Uh, the journalists were were released on Monday, um, and then some of the others were released Monday, and and then yesterday. So everybody's been released now. And as for where we stand, I mean. I, I don't think anything substantially has changed, right. unfortunately. We're, we're still dealing with the, with the rights and title. Um, what's the wet and hereditary leadership still opposes the project. Uh, it's, it's hard to know what will, what will come next. Is there anything, I mean, like you say, that seems to be the, the crux of the matter here. Um, is that before the courts? Is, I mean, is there anybody working on trying to resolve? Because if you're, if you're the company trying to put your pipeline through and you think you've done what you need to do, but then there's yeah. this other, I mean... Is there anybody working on how to resolve what seems to be the main point of friction here? It's a good question. I mean, obviously, there's this larger talk about rights and title, but yeah. um, Premier Horgan has been very clear that, you know, BC was the first jurisdiction in Canada to implement the, the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People a couple of years ago. Um, and then and then we also have this pipeline issue. And he's been very clear that, that uh, the DRIPA and the... Um, the talks currently happening with the nation are, these are forward-looking things. So it, it doesn't address the pipeline issue. The pipeline is now 15%, more than 50% complete. Um, construction is more than 50% complete. Um, you know, I know that there have been, obviously this has been a setback and there's been financial challenges, but I, I don't think that Coastal Gas Link is going anywhere. And at the same time, obviously the Wet'suwet'en yeah. who have occupied the territory for thousands of years, they're not going anywhere either. So it's, you know, uh, the courts have released everybody on the condition that they that they not be blocking access, that they abide by the rules of the injunction. Um, other than that, I'm not sure what can be done to address the, the current issue. Yeah, it's it's a mess. Uh, great, great backgrounder and uh, bringing us the education about what's going on, Amanda. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the interest. It's nice to chat with you, Shay. Yeah, we'll do this again. Um, that is Amanda Follett-Hosgood, who's a reporter with the TIE, and as you hear, she's based in Smithers, British Columbia, and she's covering this situation with the wet sweat. And I don't know what... If, 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 you're, if you're the group putting the pipeline through, wh- what are you supposed to do at this point? Because you've gone and you've met with First Nation leadership all along the route of the pipeline and come to agreements with them. And... They support it. The elected council of the Wet'suwet'en Nation and the others nearby along the route have agreed to the project. Then you've got the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs that are opposed to the project. So if you're trying to, you know, put the pipeline through, if you're industry, you've done what you're supposed to do on what, who, who do you negotiate with?